Hey there, listener. Your host, Mike, here, hopping in before the episode like I do sometimes with a quick disclaimer. Um, At the top of our discussion, I mentioned this is the first episode of the season, which to you, it is clearly not. Uh, It was our first recording of the year, but um, due to some uh, schedule adjustments and having to get the Real Things episode out before their Kickstarter launched, this discussion got bumped back to episode two. Um, Additionally, we did have some slight connection issues during the recording of this interview uh, that caused some minor technical issues. Uh, But Hannah, our lovely editor, has done a really great job of stitching the pieces together so that it's hardly even noticeable. Um, But yeah, if you notice anything odd about the episode, that's probably the reason. And it's definitely not at all because I'm an awkward show host. Not at all. So with that out of the way, enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to 19 Hits the Dragon, the show of tabletop RPG discussions and uh, conversations with creators from the tabletop RPG community. I'm your host, Mike Daniel, and uh, joining me today have a uh, our, our first guest for the season, Ian Tassin, the creator of Apotheosis RPG. Ian, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming out. And did I say that right? Is it Apotheosis RPG, or how, how do you guys kind of identify the uh, uh, your game there? Tell us a little about it. Uh, generally just Apotheosis, but yeah, apotheosis. Uh, our okay. socials and stuff are Apotheosis RPG, so. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, and yeah, if you don't mind telling myself and your listeners a little bit about uh, you and kind of what, uh, what brings you out today. Uh, yeah, I uh, just... Uh, was put in contact with you kind of through our mutual friends at uh through another podcast uh two's cast so mm-hmm. um and i was really interested in coming and talking to you on the show uh and we both obviously are big fans of tabletop role-playing games so uh, i'm excited to just kind of talk about those <laughs> all right cool uh, yeah, really glad that we got to uh, to connect. Uh, for our listeners, if you want to hear, I actually got to play Apotheosis with uh, the guys, a couple of the guys over at Tuescast, Brian and Alex. Um, so you can go check out the, uh, the episode we did there uh, from back in the fall. I, time is meaningless now, so I don't remember exactly when it was, but yeah, it was a couple of months, a couple of months back. Um, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, coming on to the show. Apotheosis was a, a lot of fun to uh, to dive into and pretty easy to, to sort of pick everything up and learn it and be able to play within a couple of days. So that was really, really awesome. Um, and yeah, had a, a lot of really great moments of some uh, some dramatic tension, which is kind of what we're here to, to talk about today and uh, how to put that into your games, into things that you're designing, so forth there as well. So um yeah ian i know we had kind of chatted a little bit about uh this topic and and why it's important um i guess can you 
if you had to kind of convey a brief summary to our listeners about dramatic intention, uh, or sorry, dramatic uh, tension, why why is it important? Why is it something that you know you feel passionately about uh, I- including in your games? Uh, I feel like you know a lot of tabletop role playing games just sort of revolve around you know tension. Those are the the times that you're gonna remember the most, whether it's you know mm-hmm. uh, combat tension of like a character death or just like uh other kind of uh, resolutionary tension between a character discussion that you're having with like an NPC or something, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that those are really what create those most memorable moments in the game. And I think that that's striving to make more of those is really a lot of what the game playing tabletop role playing games is all about is, you know, getting those really great uh, tense experiences that, um, and that makes kind of a great story. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree completely that the moments of tension t- tend to be the ones that you remember the most. You know, even years down the road, you might think back to a game or a session and are you going to remember like kind of the, well, I mean, you might remember some like kind of ch- more calm or chill times, but I think the instances that stand out the most are the ones that have a lot of a lot of tension. There's a lot of things hanging in the balance and, you know, your your hopes for your character or for the the story as a whole. Um, kind of coming, you know, becoming very prominent in those moments of tension. Uh, and it also just makes for like good storytelling, right? I mean, a story without tension, I think I've probably said it on episodes before, but without those kind of ups and downs, it's 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 boring. It's barely even a story at all, right? So got to uh, add in all of the drama <laughs> with that dramatic tension there, right? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I think let's kind of take a second to, to pick that apart and talk a little bit about like what causes tension, right? You mentioned a few things yourself, like combat, kind of social situations. Um, I, I think kind of the biggest for me anyway, and you, you can tell me what you think as well, but tension to me really equates uh, risk, like that kind of risk versus reward. There's something on the line, something to gain, something to lose, and you don't know how it's going to go, right? That's That's kind of what uh, stands out to me, I, I guess, the most in, in terms of tension. How do you feel? Yeah, I, I agree very much with that. And that's um, in doing the game design that I've, I've done, uh, that was really something that I wanted to emphasize a lot is making it so that there's a lot of opportunities to really just scale these risk and reward elements, um, mm. you know, kind of as much as you're comfortable with, where the, the more you're the risking, the more that you get uh, can, can benefit and letting mm-hmm. players really pick how they want to balance those things. So, um, yeah, because I think those are the, the most fun because either they, if they work really well, then it's memorable for that reason. If they don't, then it's, mm-hmm. you know, memorable for that reason. So it kind of, <laughs> yeah. it's a, some form of a win either way. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thinking back about when, when I played Apotheosis with Two's cast, I had a very uh, big decision to make. I was about to take a hit and I, I could spend the uh the eep i forget what that stands for exactly you'll have to forgive me but the uh the that that those points to try and negate all of the damage or i could try and take some of it and try and survive and i'm like i don't know what to do uh i'll just i'll try and squirrel some of this ep away for later to use on other things and then i just uh, my character died (laughs) it's just like nope too big of a hit you're out of the game like well (laughs) You know, it, I, it was a gamble and I made the gamble and I lost and it was it was still fun. 
So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I think from uh, from reading through Apotheosis, there are a lot of really great elements in there for including um, ways to to play those risks, right? So tell me a little bit about, um, I guess, that that process for you. What are some some steps that you took to ensure that there were things to, uh, to be risky or to cause some tension? Or where did some of those ideas come from, maybe? Like, how, how did you get started with including tension in uh, game design for yourself? Uh, I think the start for me was a, a mechanic I... I uh, used to play with a lot in, in D&D, and especially when I was playing 3.5, which was uh, like charging damage um, was something we used. And mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, if you're if you're going quickly, then you can, you know, just deal extra damage. Um, and that, always, that had created a lot of like memorable experiences for me because it's something that you can kind of play with as a player and figure out how to create those situations to gain a little bit of an advantage potentially. But... Mm-hmm. Um, I also then wanted to make it something that was a little bit more scalar. So uh, in Apotheosis, you can do charging attacks um, and it mm-hmm. basically, the amount of extra damage that you're getting is scaling exactly in proportion to how fast you're moving. So you can, you know, if you're sending yourself at some arbitrarily high speed, you're, you're going to just straight up kill something because you're, you know, moving at the speed mm-hmm. of a bullet, but you're also probably going to die in the process. So you know, letting players, you know, both figure out creative ways to get them, like, propel their character through space quickly to get that kind of bonus while also trying to figure out how to mitigate the risk of it going really badly mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, something I wanted to emphasize there. And I think that was one of the first mechanics that uh, I wrote for the game that had that kind of intention behind it of, like, really emphasizing this risk and reward system so that players can, you know, both exercise a lot of creativity in figuring out how to properly use it, but also um, create these kind of high tension moments where like, well, maybe you're going to just like one shot kill a giant, but if you miss or you don't have a place to land that's soft, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it could be a problem. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, a really interesting place to start is with that um the the sort of risk reward that you talked about for just like taking a single action like a you have the ability to make this charge attack something that you know is is pretty common i mean you're going to have to move yourself through space there's going to be other enemies it you know combat happens in a lot of role playing games so if we are creating a tense moment around this one particular um uh, I guess choice or ability that is accessible to most or you know pretty much any player uh, in a you know melee scenario, and then that is kind of a kind of a key dynamic that you ended up like incorporating into the game itself from there, right? Like, oh, okay, so we have this risk reward element. Obviously, that is something that is very uh, impactful. So how do we kind of flesh it out from there and and get that same idea across in the rest of the game? Um, So uh, yeah, I guess, um, how how did you, what's my question here? What what were some ways that you went about sort of expanding on that idea? Um, So you, you started with the charge and, you know, obviously that's something that you want. 
the uh, the the tension, I should say, and the risk is something that you want to incorporate more of. Where, where do you go to kind of flesh things out from there? Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of the the design of the mechanics, or like as a as a player, what kind of things would you leverage with that? Uh, yeah, let's. We'll, we're talking about design here for uh, for now, yeah. so let's let's dive into that, and we can talk about you know jamming and being a player and kind of following uh, following all of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So from a kind of design perspective, um, I think it was you know just a lot of really keeping that kind of mindset when when working through uh, you know designing spells, designing other mechanics as well, and making it so mm-hmm. that they're things you can kind of build on. So so. For one thing, you know, giving players options in terms of their character creation to let them, you know, better make use of these mechanics in one way or another. So it makes it, you know, a little <laughs> bit less risky or a little bit more rewarding. And then they can kind of, there's, you know, some satisfaction in that. Um, but uh, in terms of the design and keeping those, you know, these high tension moments and making it so that you don't just, you know, kind of eliminate the risk element and then just do the rewarding thing. Um, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I, I think something that, you know, D and D for example, tends to do a lot. Um, and the first mm-hmm. thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. for me is, you know, spells like, uh, like fly, which mm-hmm. are, uh, you know, for me, you're, they're kind of cool at first, but I, I think that the, the game overall really suffers, uh, for them because mm-hmm. you essentially eliminate a lot of the potential of the environment. You know, the, the spell fly is from a mechanical standpoint, really just a, ignore the environment spell like you don't really have to worry what's around you anymore you you kind of say okay well mm-hmm. i'm i'm gonna void now and i can do anything um and you know it gives it's really limiting for both game masters in terms of what kind of situations you can set up and also i think limits the players in their you know need to to kind of come up with these interesting and creative solutions for stuff so um so like uh, apotheosis, I, I, there's not a fly spell, but we have mm-hmm. uh, other things that are kind of serving that that narrative niche without just mechanically kind of saying, well, the environment doesn't matter anymore. Um, uh, and you know, our, our most one to one example of that would be uh, our gravitational locality spell, which is basically you're changing mm-hmm. which direction gravity is pulling on you. So you start, you know, maybe falling sideways or falling upwards, um, which, you know, is similar to flying, but it has a lot more risk and it means that you're still having to pay attention to what's around you. So you don't want to just fall 30 feet into a wall because that'll hurt a lot, you know, you're you're risking fall damage. Um, But you can still gain that kind of benefit of, well, now I've got a lot more, I've got a lot more freedom to move, but I'm just, it's basically just changing how you think about the problem instead of eliminating the problem altogether. and, you know, that's also a great thing, you know, combining that kind of spell with something like charging attacks where you could fall forwards into an enemy and deal a bunch of extra charging damage from your from your falling. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, I really like the uh, the idea that you were getting at there of um, in, instead of, you know, mitigating the environmental hazards, it's sort of finding ways to problem solve that don't uh erase the problems entirely but maybe you know change the dynamics of the problem a little bit right so instead of oh i can just fly and get out of the way of the lava on the floor all of a sudden well i instead am going to you know repel myself with gravity but 
now I'm heading up towards the ceiling and that's, there's a, you know, cap on that as well. Right. Yeah. So it's sort of shifting the dynamics around. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of speaks really not just to a design thing, but as a game master as well. Right. I mean, if you know that your player, your wizard really likes to throw the fly spell, like, okay, that's cool for them and that solves some problems, but how can I, make that a, a problem for them still create some tension with that, that in mind, knowing that they're going to probably use this spell. I'll put some archers in and I'll just shoot arrows at them. And potentially they're going to end up dropping concentration. And what happens then they're, you know, 30, 60 feet up in the air and suddenly they're falling from that height. Um, so, I, you know, I think not, right. not to say that, you know, there's still some issues with, uh, with fly at, as, as far as you know what you mentioned earlier but as a gm you kind of you can kind of find some ways to still create tension um even though your players are going to be kind of breaking reality around it right so um, right yeah but yeah i think the uh that, that kind of like off offering options for solving problems in a new and different way is uh really great and a really great way to bring about some kind of dramatic tension at the table as well and not just in the design aspect but um to present opportunities for your players to solve those problems and find unique and interesting ways to get to the goal still um mm -hmm. i, I yeah. think you know a huge part of uh, of having that, uh, the tension, as we talked about, is not only the risk, but the reward. There's got to be that, that thing on the other side of it that they want to get, but they have to, you know, put up X amount of risk to be able to, to get that, which causes that uh, sort of internal conflict of the, the, the dramatic tension that we're talking about here. Um, yeah, and I, I think that, um, and this is sort of really something you had mentioned a little bit uh, before, which is like this idea of they're uh it's kind of essential to the idea of risk and reward is that you know you really are risking something and that there is something to be lost mm -hmm. um, if things do go badly so um yeah and i think you know not, not only just from a like you're gonna die combat standpoint but also uh there's a lot of ways to to leverage that in terms of you know the consumability of resources and um mm. also you know or, or NPC relationships and things like that as well, uh, in terms of, yeah. you know, more, uh, discussion narrative elements that, that aren't combat. So mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Can, can you, um, you know, from your own experience, uh, tell me of a time, uh, a, an example of some, uh, social examples that have come up in, in your games. I can certainly talk about more for, for mine as well, but yeah, I'm curious, how, how have you used some, some social tension, um, to, uh, string your players, uh, along, so to speak? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, a lot of social tension is, uh, you know, really wrapped up in sort of the, the power dynamic of the situation. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In general, a power discrepancy of some point type is, is going to make a situation more tense, like either if um, uh, either in terms of like a like a empathetic uh, tension, which is, you know, like maybe there's a kobold who's like sort of begging for their life or something. Um, mm -hmm. And then you, you kind of understand that tension from the other perspective, which you know, makes a more interesting moment than um, just a, like a, a really buff kobold who doesn't really seem <laughs> like, you know, it, it's a little 
that would be more like comedic um, than than sort of tense from their perspective. So, um, uh, or in terms of you know if you want to create your tension from some other you know NPC or whether it's a bad guy or otherwise, um, making them someone who is powerful and you know seems threatening adds mm -hmm. a lot. To that. Your, your players are more asking, well, you know you know what are the consequences if i like you know try to try to lie to this person or persuade them um mm -hmm. to do something against their best interests and it kind of adds like a thinking twice thing to that where you know instead of well maybe i'm just gonna lie to this person and try to steal from them there mm -hmm. and then it goes badly i'll just leave or you know beat them up and whatever um it's kind of is that something i can really afford to do you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, when I was playing uh, in D&D &D 5e, when we had a Waterdeep Dragon Heist game uh, going on for Adventures League, actually, ran into a lot of those sort of situations because the Wizards of the Coast with this game put out a lot of like laws and you, you hand out like the uh, law script, you know, all these um, can and cannot do things and what the punishments are for them for stealing or for fighting or for drawing a weapon even inside of the city and stuff like that right so just knowing that there are uh potential consequences to these seemingly you know otherwise inconsequential interactions that they're having whether it be with you know people on the street or in some uh social setting where you know they there are these like you mentioned like power dynamics i mean it, that can exist within a street gang it can exist when within like the nobility of the city as well right like there are always going to be these dynamic relationships and someone is going to kind of have the social power so to speak um and playing against those can always cause uh, a lot of tension um i remember specifically and i think i've talked about it last season as well uh when my my party we play in, in eberron and they were in the city of sharn and uh i wrangled them all all of the party into doing some illicit activities because they needed something from uh from somebody there right there was a a gang lord who had some power over one of the players and oh you want to be free to go well guess what you got to do these things for me and if you fuck it up, then that's just going to be bad. And I'm going to come after you to try and get more from you. Right. So they kind of mm -hmm. have to like play by these, the rules that they're not used to playing by in order to make this, you know, this uh, crime Lord happy to get what they want out of him. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, as from a, uh, the, the the kind of narrative cohesion of the story is something I also think about a lot. Mm. And I think it does relate to tension in in terms of if you know you don't want plot points to feel like too contrived or the mm. tension gets kind of undermined because you're like, well, why is it this way in the first place? Um, and I think that's kind of the, the hard part around you know having uh, creatures and and uh, characters that are more powerful than your party is mm. that a lot of the time it brings up questions uh, about, you know, well, why aren't they doing it, you know, or why mm. are they even like bothering with us? Um, and uh, that, you know, is, is definitely a very fine line to walk in terms of how you're kind of presenting these characters. And, you know, there, there's some mm -hmm. obvious solutions to it. Like sometimes it's like, well, I just, they don't want to deal with it. It's below them, but it's something that they want you to do or 
something like that. But mm-hmm. that'll that'll only take you kind of so far. You have to come up with sort of these right more nuanced things as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So h- how did that sort of uh, narrative aspect play into you know d- developing a structure for apotheosis for you? Because um, I, I remember, you know, when we were playing at like kind of low level, so to speak, but um, it, it definitely had that feeling of like everything is a threat and I'm potentially a threat to everything as well. So can you tell me a little bit about how that sort of played into um, designing the game for you guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and th- that particular kind of dynamic was especially a big influence on our kind of evasion system as opposed to your normal mm-hmm. points. Um, mm-hmm. because one of the things about, you know, hit points is that I, that I don't like is as you get to be, you know, higher level, you don't really have fears anymore. Cause like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for one thing, like the, the city of guards can attack you and you will be fine. Like it, it right, exactly. all of them. Right? My, <laughs> currently my barbarian has boasted a couple of times that they could fall from the highest height, like take max fall damage and still survive. <laughs> yeah, which we exactly. know is not a thing in reality, right? So, yeah, exactly. sorry, but continue, continue, yeah. Well, that's exactly, um, and falling is actually a specific aspect of D&D that I really wanted to, you know, that, that does bother me, like, frequently, because that, that comes up a lot, mm-hmm. you know, you, you want a cliff to seem threatening, not, like, that's a good option, you know? <laughs> Right, so, right. Um, players um, becoming, and, and having the, the narrative of the game have this idea that, like, as you become more powerful, you just basically become invincible for a certain duration um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh is very uh can be can be kind of frustrating from a, a game master perspective and, and lead into that kind of dissonance between like well why is this person having me do it if they're so much more powerful because you know they're mm-hmm. if i can't uh, kill them then whatever i'm going to you know they could definitely do right um, right right and so in designing the evasion system i really wanted it to be this thing where you know yeah, as you get more powerful, you definitely could kill, you know, a bunch a bunch of guards, but there's mm-hmm. they're they're still always a threat because they mm-hmm. can get a good shot in um that that is gonna, you know, have serious consequences on you, even if you're, you know, really well trained, especially if you're you're taking attacks from a lot of different creatures at the same time or something mm-hmm. like this. Like even at a high level you can get overwhelmed. And it makes it so that it makes more sense, uh, both narratively for even powerful things that you don't really want to be like, oh, I don't know if I can take them, but they also might be like, I don't really want to go risk my life to do this other thing because you're both always kind of at risk. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that plays very well into that narrative and those questions, that dissonance that you talked about. It's like, well, yeah, I have the ability to do this. So why why is someone else who has more resources than me hiring me to do that in a setting where like apotheosis, everything is constantly a threat, even for the most powerful people. Right. So it just, it's that, that added layer of like, well, they're hiring me because they don't want to take that risk. So they'd rather put someone else in that position to take that risk for them. Uh, and then, you know, be able to go hire more people if they need to. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, um, the, the the yeah that narrative aspect of it is uh, kind of a you know a problem that you solved for yourself as well. I think a lot of design is kind of realizing the problems that you have and then finding ways to solve them within your own system. And certainly yeah. um, the 
that search for tension and kind of uh, you know comes throughout with you with what you've uh, you've built here it seems like you know from uh combat to social status to just kind of the uh narrative reasons the the story that you're you're telling um and like we said earlier i mean tension makes for good stories that's how you have interesting stories um so yeah i mean a lot of really great things around revolving around uh design here let's can we shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about like some i guess some advice for game masters you know when they're running the game what are some things that you like to do in maybe session to session or campaigns as a whole to really like you know ramp up the tension or to make sure that it's 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 there and present throughout uh, throughout your games uh yeah and that i think is something that you can really get very creative with in terms of uh mm -hmm. how you do it um one of my you know i think one of my kind of like favorite ideas um and it's you know everything is something that you can't implement too often because if you do something anything too often then it ends up feeling like it loses its its effectiveness um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the idea of having uh like something that looks challenging or something that your your players know is a challenge um mm -hmm. be kind of easily destroyed by whatever is their the bigger challenge you know mm -hmm. um you know where maybe they uh and this can also be a sign of their their progress throughout the game and like showing you know they've how much they've kind of overcome or you know they had a particularly difficult encounter with some some type of creature um previously and then mm -hmm. you take that creature and you have it be you know either subservient to whatever your your big bad guy is or mm -hmm. um have an instance of your big bad guy is basically just destroying that that thing with ease and then it kind of it creates this intimidation by you know like the transitive property by proxy like, yeah, yeah 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 exactly <laughs> um, and so that's for sure one of one of my favorite things because i think it's always very interesting and it really immediately puts your players in like this oh mm -hmm. man that's 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 intimidating mindset of like, yeah it's uh it's kind of the uh, the wharf principle. I don't know if you watch Star Trek much oh, at yeah. all, but yeah. yeah, if they needed something to be intimidating, some creature, they would have it beat up wharf. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, like we need to be careful because this thing is obviously very strong. It, it beat up wharf. So yeah, um, yeah no, that's <laughs> that's great. That even also kind of plays into the, the idea of maybe even overdoing it because uh, mm. my the wharf principle is actually if you go through and you look through the catalog of Star Trek, Worf yeah. almost never wins anything because they're always, you know, <laughs> because they're always using things to, yeah, using that trope to beat them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so at the end of the day, you're like, oh, wait, maybe Worf isn't actually that strong. <laughs> Very strong, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry, listeners, if you're Star Trek fans, it actually turns out that Worf is pretty weak. So uh, <laughs> come, come at me. Come at me. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but that's uh, that's definitely a, a great technique to use that that kind of uh, principle of just kind of displaying those power dynamics. Um, how about uh, any tips for influencing like social status status uh, tension, um, or do you have some examples maybe from from your own games or your your table experience? Uh, social status tension. Yeah, I think. Um, social status tension is definitely like a, a lot more complicated and nuanced. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the the most obvious thing is because of some social situation, um, what's at risk is not your players directly, but the things that they value. Um, mm-hmm. it, in terms of, especially in terms of making social um, uh, uh, consequences and tension that aren't basically just a lead into combat, you know, because right. a, a lot of forms of social tension are going to be, well, they could attack you, which is, you know, very close to just being combat. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, in terms of other things, it's, it's you know, uh, basically the things that your players value, like, uh, or mm. your player's characters value. Um, if you've got, you know, a paladin archetype of a character, um, their status within the church or the kingdom is something that might matter to the character. And then that can be a point of mm-hmm. social tension uh, to play off of. Um, or uh, on the other hand, if you've got, you know, in general, if you've got like a rogue archetype or a party of that kind of character archetype where they're sort of out for themselves more or less, um, mm-hmm. then it gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, but you can also get them invested in NPCs or characters around them just throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And that also works as a form of tension. For sure. Yeah. Their, their possessions as well. I think of, uh, Absolutely. um, you know, right now in one of the games that I'm a, a player in, we actually are playing a, a gang of thieves, like everybody's different classes, but we are the, uh, the premise is that we are part of this, uh, this gang inside of a larger kind of decentralized, um, underground organization so to speak uh like organized crime more or less and um the the bard um has a lot of uh he he cares a lot for his uh his mandolin or i think it's his some whatever instrument he plays offhand i ladnar the the player will give me a lot of grief for not remembering it right offhand but i think it's his mandolin if i'm remembering correctly uh anyway he uh we end up in in the midst of uh, our our kind of group dynamics i think about half of us have stolen his mandolin from him and done something with it and it's always caused a lot of tension just like within the party dynamics um so i keep waiting for something to happen with uh with that mandolin that sort of like sets him off um in a really bad way but uh yeah like like you said like they're even if they don't have a lot of connections with society you can either make them care about some npc or you know find that thing that is valuable to them and just sort of like dangle it in front of them dangle some sort of threat to that thing in front of them right um so that actually really reminds me of uh one of my all-time uh favorite uh experiences from a D campaign i did was mm-hmm. um, a this this sort of it was that kind of inter-party tension where um and it, it wasn't a mandolin but it was basically we were trying to buy these some some magic items from a wizard okay. um, and uh one of our there's a little bit of backstory for this but one of our players had previously sold his soul in order to get a sword that never missed excellent um, okay and Continue. through a series of events lost the sword that never missed um and so was trying to figure out how he could get another soul to sell to get a new one um Mm -hmm. and uh okay so we're 
we're, we're haggling with this wizard and he goes well if you if you do this uh this like basically like a medical trial but it's like his magic experiment um he'll give us a discount on on the magic okay trial. yeah yeah <laughs> um, and so the first guy who did it was the guy who had his soul sold and he went back there and the ma- wizard did some magic and nothing happened and we got a discount and we we're like okay cool nothing happened let's do that again um uh-huh, uh-huh. And so another player or two other players go in and then uh they actually get their souls trapped in bottles oh uh, no and so before <laughs> and as soon as our, our our first player realized that 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 like oh this guy took out their souls he goes and he buys one of the other players souls and immediately <laughs> like summons this devil to, to the devil this so he, he stole another player's soul and then created it for a new sword oh that's amazing and that was basically, <laughs> <laughs> it really changed up the party dynamic quite a bit was, i can imagine so yeah it was between these two characters that already kind of had some some inter-party friction going on and some some conflict mm-hmm. and it was um and then it was it was just uh it was wild it was it was fun but <laughs> oh good times good times <laughs> And I guess so. Were were you one of the fellow players in in the midst of that, or were you GMing as all this I was, was happening? Uh, I was another player. Um, okay. But, and, and actually playing into that same idea in that same campaign, um, I had a magic item that I was using, and whenever I used its like major magical property, it would mm-hmm. it had like a fifty percent chance to uh, sap all of the magic out of a different magic item nearby. Ooh. which is actually how he lost the sword that never missed. But we, uh-huh. didn't, we didn't know that that was how it worked. Um, mm-hmm. so I would just do it. And I had just been doing it to like, you know, uh, kill this thing with my super powerful magic item. Um, right. Not knowing what the consequence was. I was <laughs> that that's why the, our magic items keep turning off. Cause we were like, it was like a very long form mystery. We were like, how, why mm-hmm. our magic items keep blipping out of existence. <laughs> so and meanwhile, um, your GM behind the screen just cackling and okay, well they use that magic item again, so now exactly. this one doesn't work. And <laughs> exactly, uh, um, yeah. And that was just so so. And then that kind of created a very similar situation later with my mm-hmm. character. Everyone would there were the you know the whole party was like turning on him, like you've been destroying our magic items, <laughs> and they found out. So, um, uh, oh, yeah, and yeah, interparty tension can be can be at the most fun. And I think also from a GM perspective, it's, it's mm-hmm. both the most interesting from a GM perspective, because you truly don't know what's going to happen. Uh, oh, yeah. Rare moments. And it's also kind of the easiest because you can let the players create it for themselves and you don't have to come yep. up with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Just kind of sit back and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, tap out for a second, guys. You, you work all this out and I'll be right here just watching and enjoying. Go make some popcorn and like, <laughs> uh, it's a good time. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I think, sorry, I'm also just kind of browsing over our notes right here. Like, is there anything that we missed? I feel like there are, I could go on and on about ways to, or that I have inspired tension. Um, I also really enjoy uh, tension as like a cliffhanger when you're doing like a, you know, campaign setting and it's session over session over session, right? You always want to, or I always want to, as a GM, want to leave off a session with something to entice the players to come back. Not that I think that everyone, anyone's going to be like, oh, screw this game, I'm done with it. But yeah. you want to have that a kind of cliffhanger moment of tension at the end that 
uh, causes that that anxiety almost in the players and makes them want to get the resolution next week or next session, you know, whenever that's going to be for you. Um, and I think also in general, just keeping a line of tension in the game is um, mm-hmm. what keep what gives the players direction, you know, because mm-hmm. if you end up yeah. with a downtime moment where there's also not really any plot hooks to pursue, um, mm-hmm. you don't, then, the, you know, sometimes the players want that, you know, you want like a little, you know, like a shopping episode type of thing, right? But right. Yeah, um, yeah. if you if you don't know when to kind of give them something more to, to go and pursue, um, mm-hmm. and it can be, you know, you end up with like these kind of directionless, uh, gameplay sessions where you're, 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 yeah, it can be a little strange and not, not quite as enjoyable because there isn't, because the tension is missing. Right. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, uh, an indicator of a good game master is someone who can find ways to incorporate tension in those like downtime sessions, not mm-hmm. even necessarily like giving the party, side quests and stuff to go on but ways to make those shop shopping sessions interesting or um you know something that i did with my players um a while back was they had been through like a lot a lot of shit and they were very tired and i was like cool let's have a beach episode so we're just gonna go to the beach and just have a good time and chill um and so i you know i noticed that it got to the point though where it was getting a little bit boring almost like people were just like oh i don't know what to do i don't know you know kind of what direction to go in i'm here hanging out on the beach having a good time i'm like i'm gonna make this interesting and have a volleyball come flying in from somewhere off and like crash the sandcastle that these that the characters are making right now oh and the person comes and picks up the volleyball and there's a little bit of tension there of like oh you just destroyed our sandcastle sorry you didn't mean to like throw the volleyball your way but we're playing a game over here if anybody wants to come and and hang out and that led to the players you know playing volleyball on the beach which led to them going to a beach party later that night uh, and having a, a bunch of like raucous events happen there, right? So just kind of finding ways to lead them along, even if it's not you know the most intense dramatic tension, it's still just an, just enough to like keep the rhythm of the story moving along, um, and kind of coaxing yeah. them along in some directions, even if they don't realize that you're kind of trailing them along towards something that you're trying to make happen. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of this idea is like of like uh, you know mystery is as a form mm. of tension. If there's something that they just want to find out, you know that creates a form of uh, tension. In that there's a you know you know it's the curiosity killed the cat, where you know figuring things out always feels a little bit inherently risky because you don't mm-hmm. you don't know. So yeah, um, yeah, and so you're like, well, we're going to go to this this party and you know you're you're finding these npcs and stuff but you also don't know is this going to be leading into some kind of weird cult of necromancer <laughs> volleyball players or you know, uh... right right <laughs> uh, nothing quite yeah. like that although they did end up making com- a connection with a uh kind of a key family member in the world in the setting um that has led them on to other adventures stuff i didn't even like plan to happen really they're just like oh yeah this guy is of this particular dragon mark house and they're like oh well now we're going to come back to chat with him because we need to know more things about other dragon mark houses and he's got access to resources so let's go and hang out with our friend our beach bro friend and see if we can convince him to to give us stuff and it's 
yeah, like I, I, I did not plan this NPC out at all. I just sort of made him up on the fly and yeah. it turned into this thing of like, well, now he's a key NPC in our game because yeah. the party followed these leads along with him and had uh, an interesting time with them, a very tense situation that happened um, at the, uh, the the beach party that, you know, was his house or whatever that they were crashing. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um advice to gms is just let the you know, let let your party figure out what the moments of tension are going to be right like you can yeah. you can try and plan them but <laughs> they'll get themselves into trouble <laughs> yeah that's that's very true <laughs> uh, yeah uh and i'm gonna circle back a little bit to uh yeah. the idea of um of creating tension with the the character's possessions because i do think that, mm-hmm. that is uh, a really great well of potential, um, but it's also something that you can like really easily misuse. Like, uh, if mm. you just have a character, you know, just goes into a city and then the next thing they know, like something from them has been stolen. Like, it just doesn't it doesn't feel good and rewarded because you don't build up to it. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it's kind of this idea that you, you essentially need tension to shift gradually most of the time. Like you you there are situations mm-hmm. in which maybe you want things to kind of suddenly be surprising and, and intense, but for the most part, you, you want to at least kind of foreshadow that a little bit. So if a player is going to have something mm-hmm. stolen, there should have been a point where they knew that would have happened. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of tabletop role-playing is that the, the, I think inventory ma- management is something that like, while simultaneously is, something that you kind of you know don't want to mess with too much and you don't want to put an overemphasis on in tabletop role-playing mm-hmm. games it, it can bog down the gameplay if you're if you're kind of way too involved with it um but it is i think something that that has that that keeps that kind of tension as a little bit more ever present if um mm-hmm. and this is kind of something i was thinking about in designing the uh apotheosis like encumbrance system is that you can't really carry that much around if you're in combat like you could carry a lot of stuff but you know you're generally going to have like a backpack of it and when you're fighting you're probably going to like drop that you know um Mm -hmm. so that you can move more quickly and you can be more dexterous um while fighting you're not going to fight with all of your 300 gold pieces (laughs) that weighs a lot so yeah um, and i think uh part of what i really like about that is it makes a little bit more tension all the time. Like either either you're yeah. traveling, you're, you're traveling light, so you don't have to worry about that, or you're traveling heavy and keeping all your stuff with you, um, but you're suffering some some detriment because of it. Or you're doing mm. something like, okay, well, I'm just gonna drop my backpack real quick. But now, if you end up needing to retreat, or uh, mm-hmm. one of the creatures tries to grab your backpack and run away. Um, yep. then there's like this immediate extra you're busy stuff. fighting some somebody in the street and someone else sneaks around and runs off with your stuff like that's uh, exactly that yeah exactly and it, it it kind of just keeps that as like you know you can kind of get in your character's head of, yeah they're fighting with this other thing but they've also got mm-hmm. like they've, they've got to constantly be like watching their their bag and making sure that it's okay and you know maybe that's something you you describe that your character is doing at the same time and then you get to Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they see it happen or you forget about it and then uh, uh, the GM like sees if a creature can like sneakily grab your stuff uh, or something like that and 
I think mm-hmm. it just adds that extra level of like keeping track of your stuff as something your character does have to kind of be aware of. And it makes the, I think it makes your equipment feel both more personal and more real because um, yeah. you're interfacing with it regularly. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's, yeah, very much uh, kind of a thing that you do in, in reality as well, right? If you go somewhere and you have a backpack or some sort of bag and you have to set it down to go and, and take care of other, you know, other business in a close proximity, you still kind of have that on the back of your mind. Like, oh, is my backpack still on the chair that I left it on or the table? Even if it's not checking in, you know, every six seconds or every, you know, round of combat, so to speak, like you're still regularly going to like look back and see, is the stuff there? Okay, cool. Now I can move on. Yeah. Um, exactly. Or I can continue on with what I'm doing. So yeah, it's something that you'll be very yeah, exactly. It's something people are very familiar with, even from their like real lives. You know, you don't mm-hmm. you, you don't take your your backpack of stuff, briefcase or whatever. It's not constantly in your hand. You know, you're gonna put it down right. sometimes when you're doing other things. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's a something that characters should also be dealing with because that's I mean that's a big aspect of tension in general. Um, you know, both mm-hmm. you know from real life and also if you look at like. Uh, novels and other narratives that's that's very frequently is a plot point in some kind of narrative is this idea that uh you know someone is trying to make sure they can protect what they have um mm-hmm. and that finding creative ways to do that and uh you know managing that as another form of kind of risk and and reward is um you know it's a it's a part of, it, it i think it can be a fun part of the game if you if you play mm-hmm. right for sure. Similarly, giving players things that are delicate, that have that chance of breaking, mm-hmm. and it needs to be protected, as you know, as you kind of alluded to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, a really great way to just sort of build some some tension as well. It's like, okay, well, I have this barbarian who can, you know, barrel through a brick wall if they want to, but they are also being tasked with protecting this very precious like dragon egg as an example right mm-hmm. and if they go breaking through walls to get to where they need to go with this egg then well that's probably going to end up breaking the egg right so yeah. they're not going to take those kinds of risks that they normally would or do those sort of extravagant things that they normally would because of the risk of harming the object that they're carrying um and um that kind of idea of like you're going to do these things and there's um this chance of you know you're this this thing's going to break and this these things where both the gm and the players are not really going to have certainty around the outcome um uh because you know the the control of it is really in just the the chance of the world mm-hmm. um that is also something uh, that, that was kind of those kind of situations are what uh, inspired me to have uh, like a luck uh, attribute in apotheosis oh, mm-hmm. so that you can you know in those moments where you know maybe you've got this delicate thing and you you know you fall from a, a great height and like yeah mm-hmm. it might break and it might not and you know it's not necessarily going to be based on your dexterity of whether or not you like caught it or something it might just be based on mm-hmm. happenstance so, like was it positioned correctly in your bag to be cushioned by your blanket or was it next to your sword so mm, um, right so you just do and then you know you and so i i have these like what you call like luck checks and then you just check mm. how lucky were you um which right. is also fun because you can end up with characters where things like that go you know routinely badly for them because they have really bad luck <laughs> right because well they have good luck which 
you know, I know personally, I definitely know people like that in real life where there's some oh, people for sure. If something can go badly for them, if they if they're not absolutely in control of it, it probably went mm -hmm. badly for them. And so, and that's that's <laughs> sure. a very fun characteristic, I think, to give mm -hmm. to bring into the game. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, and and you know, the other way or the other side of that coin as well is like you have people who are very lucky, and maybe that's their thing. Their mm -hmm. a, a unique aspect about them is that they have really good luck. But luck is only going to take you so far, right? They can they can keep pushing that luck and keep pushing that luck, and eventually, it's not going to work out for them, and it's probably going to cause something to go horribly wrong because they were really relying on that like good luck stat, if you will, to save the day, and then it, well, sorry, but the dice roll says otherwise, right? So, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Again, that that risk versus reward. I think you used a really great word, which is uncertainty. I think yeah. uncertainty, and it, as from personal experience, causes a lot of anxiety. But um, that yeah. creates that tension as well, right? Like yeah. that yeah. that feeling of the unknown. Like anything could happen, depending on how the dice roll. Uh, is yeah. I mean, I've I've had players and tables where it's like it comes down to a dice roll and everyone is on their feet as the dice is die is rolling across the table and oh it lands on a nat 20 and everyone's screaming and having a great time or yeah. the other side where it's like oh natural one and well sorry but you're getting eaten by this purple worm now and that's just how the dice have decided to play so <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, ways to inspire uncertainty, I think, is kind of the key to creating creating a lot of tension at the table um, or yeah. leaving room for uncertainty and, and doubt. Like you said, mystery as well. It's kind of a lot of uncertainty wrapped around the uh, solving a mystery, right? It kind of creates that tension. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a tangent there. Sorry. Bye. No, it, it was excellent. <laughs> I think that that's, I think it's just, I think it's all like that's very true you know you you do want um the uncertainty is kind of the 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 basis of tension um and mm -hmm. uh, but i and i think it's also this this kind of it's a balancing act in and of itself as well where uh yeah the the difference between like well-resolved tense situations and badly resolved tense situations um kind of hinges on uh your your how much you how much uncertainty you kind of reveal there to have been um uh am i still coming through uh so yeah sorry i i lost you there as you were talking a little bit about uh uncertainty and kind of that playing into some uh some choices or design for you there um can you maybe circle back and and rehash some of that yeah absolutely um i was basically uh, just kind of thinking that the the way that you resolve uncertainty um mm. you know after after the outcome is determined it kind of tells you you know how uncertain it ever was or wasn't and if you you kind of mm. uh you don't want to end up with sort of like this deus ex machina situation right um if you mm -hmm. if you resolve uncertainty too quickly um and and you know just eliminate tension very, very fast, then I, in general, that's, I think, kind of what you end up with is a situation where um, the, the uncertainty feels unwarranted because it was never mm -hmm. real. Um, and, and it turns out, you know, it was, it was kind of predestined to go uh, however it ends up. So, 
Uh, right. And that's why I think you, you kind of um, generally want to kind of invert the uncertainty or the tension before it resolves um, in mm. the sense that you want things to kind of gradually uh, start changing in if, if you're, you know, in a very intense battle and you, it looks like, you know, the odds are stacked against you. Uh, you want it to kind of transition, you know, into this moment where, uh, you know, oh, you know, now you look like you have the upper hand uh, before things even out and you find out what is what actually went on. Um, and in, in terms of the design of apotheosis, I think uh, the, the place that I see that coming into play is in the design of uh, the, the spells and the actions you can take being mm-hmm. very much around this idea of the more creative you can be with them, the more you can uh, make them more powerful. Like by using the same spell in a more creative way, you can have a real impact on how powerful it can be. Um, and that creates the situation where you can go from, oh my God, how are we going to, how are we going to do this to, you know, I have this idea that might work and then you get the resolution of whether or not it did. Um, and that, that, that I have this idea moment is I think that kind of pivotal moment of the uncertainty going from how is this, how is this even possible? How are we going to do this to, Mm. um, will to do, do I actually maybe have the upper hand here? Um, is this my, my kind of way, way in? Um, yeah. And I think that that's, that kind of, to me, uh, what I like in this too, is, you know, the, the kind of idea of hard magic systems in, Mm -hmm. uh, that you generally are seeing in, you know, more modern fantasy is generally more reliant on hard magic where you've kind of got, you know, these magical effects that can take place, but the reader and the characters in the story have a very good understanding of how that magic takes place and what it takes to create it Mm -hmm. and what kind of things can be done with it. Um, And uh, I think, you know, narratively, a lot of tabletop role-playing games kind of, uh, they have this kind of interesting dynamic where you've got the hard magic aspect where the players very much understand how things happen um, but they also uh, tend to be a little bit more uh, have a tendency to be kind of arbitrary in the exact parameters of what they can do, which gives them mm-hmm. the, the in-game kind of narrative aspect of it ends up looking a little bit like a soft magic system and kind of arbitrary in terms of what can happen. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the kind of classic example I like to use is uh, like Cloud of Daggers. Um, which is, you know, a very classic spell mm-hmm. where, you know, now there's a bunch of daggers swirling around there. Um, but if you were to read a fantasy, you know, novel or something and you encountered a character that could create a cloud of swirling daggers, you would probably expect them to do other things with daggers, you know, like, right, right. Why, if they can conjure all of these swirling daggers, why can't they, you know, conjure daggers to do other things? Like, why can't they like make a dagger mm-hmm. that comes out and, uh, you tie then they like tie a rope to it and then conjure a dagger to spear it into a wall somewhere or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of gets, that's kind of the, the fundamental idea of the difference between like a hard and soft magic system or a soft magic system. It's like they can do some things and no one really knows why or what those things are, um, at least within the narrative. And then a harder magic mm-hmm. system where, you know, they're the limits of what they can do with this kind of well-defined 
uh, effect are really limited by the character's imagination. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that heart of magic system is being more and more present in, in fantasy because it lets mm-hmm. you do these, instead of creating these, you know, uh, deus ex machina situations where, you know, a wizard shows mm-hmm. up and now the day is saved, you end up with these situations where, you know, a person finds a, this creative answer for this, this mm-hmm. thing that they have power over and are able to use it in an unexpected way to make, to make the, 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 the resolution come, come through. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, um, just for, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with the terms, um, you know, hard magic me being, or a hard magic system, I should say, is one that has a lot of defined rules that either the players or the characters are aware of and have to, uh, abide by um, and a soft magic has a lot more flexibility there are the rules aren't as defined basically um, so it, it sounds like you know with apotheosis has a little bit of a softer uh, magic system uh, built into it like yes there are some rules but within a given spell there are a lot of creative ways to be able to make use of the effects that that, that spell can generate is that kind of what I'm what I'm hearing from you? Uh, yeah, yeah. The the uh, sort of the the design of the spells and apotheosis is um, the thing I was really keeping mm-hmm. in mind is yeah, trying to make them, you know, more imitate hard magic systems where um, ah okay you know, yeah with with them where the spells de- like describe kind of some well defined effect um, mm-hmm. and both the players and the characters wielding the spell are going to be very kind of aware of the limitations of the effect, but the limitations of what can be done with it are really mm-hmm. um, kind of broad where, you know, it depends on, it's going to be very, depending on the circumstances and what the player can really come up with in that moment. Um, instead mm-hmm. of really, it's just going to do the same thing all the time. Like, uh, you know, like a fireball right. is like a very, very kind of well-defined uh, or limited um, spell in that, it does not really matter what's going on. Fireball is going to do the exact same thing every time. Um, right. And that is, it's going to do this much damage or within this range to this area. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always what it does. Whereas if you've got something that's uh, a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more like a hard magic system, maybe a character, um, you know, creates fire in some capacity, but the effectiveness of it is going to be a lot more based on, uh, you know, what's, what else is going on? Like maybe, maybe the, mm. uh, components that they use are, are affecting it or the amount of, uh, uh, the environment maybe is having an effect on it. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe it doesn't do, uh, very much, maybe it doesn't do very much if you're just, you know, casting it on its own. But if you say combine it with some other effect, you can, you can make it something more devastating and, uh, you know, like a great example would be like, you know, you cast grease and then you cast fire on it is you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a fun combo. Um, right. And encouraging more of that is I think where more, more both encourages more player collaboration and lets you have uh, more interesting combat and spells and problem solving in the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the idea of giving 
we, we've talked about it earlier as well, but kind of giving the players creative or ways to solve problems creatively. And obviously magic being a uh, very creative solution, gen- generally speaking, uh, being able to kind of twist and bend the spells within certain parameters to fit certain situations instead of just, well, I cast a spell and it does this thing every single time. I can alter that slightly to make it do what I want to in this situation to solve the problem that I'm having here. Right, exactly. And I think like um, in, in general, uh, the, the, the kind of dichotomy of this is sort of like the difference between like Spider-Man and Gandalf where Spider-Man mm-hmm. always really know exactly what he can do. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you know, read a Spider-Man comic book and expect that all of the sudden he's going to like conjure a force field um, because that's not one of Spider-Man's right. things. But if Gandalf does that, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess he can kind of do whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then even furthermore, if Gandalf says, you know, later he's like, well, I, I can't conjure a force field again. Um, you don't really necessarily need an explanation within the story because it's like, well, that's just kind of the way Gandalf is, you know? So, and it's like a very soft magic, um, mm-hmm. kind of what I think TTRPGs in general uh, particularly fantasy ones tend to lean towards is the idea that the the, mm. the wizard you're controlling within the universe is functioning off of kind of a soft magic system where um, the mm. people around them don't really know how what they can or can't do and how that'll work out because you know it's like oh sometimes I can do this thing other times I can't um, right you know uh, like the spell slot system because um, it's not mm-hmm. really meant to be something that the in universe characters know about they don't know about spell slots <laughs> so. Mm, right um, right and and uh whereas you know i want to design something that's really more bringing the mechanics and the story together uh so that mm, the things mm. that the player knows about are going to be a lot higher degree of overlap with the things that the characters know about so you know right. um and you know one way in doing that is making the 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 spells more uh like harder magic systems so you know it's more like mm. the you know this guy can do spider-man things he can create like webs and the webs can do anything that webs can do not just only cast the spell web which does one (laughs) you know right like you can't use the spell web to really hold things together which is strange because Mm -hmm. they webs because Um, right right you would think there'd be enough tension there to uh to hold stuff together but Right. Not according to the spell description. That's not what it does. Yeah, exactly. So. It's it's kind of the idea of writing spell descriptions that make it so that the 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 in-game explanation of what the thing is and the me- and the mechanical explanation of what it is are going to match up a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you've got a, a web spell, make it so that it yeah, it can slow stuff down and, and stick things to things, but it can also, you know, hold stuff together or do whatever else you might do with webs. <laughs> so let you swing right. on them. <laughs> <laughs> if you're Spider-Man, if you're Spider-Man. Yeah, swing on them, for sure. Yeah. I, I personally don't think that I would ever trust a web enough to be able to swing on it, but that just might be me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about uh, quite a lot of ways to bring tension into the game, into your design, how that fed your design with apotheosis and, and uh, kind of, you know, how to bring that to the table as well. Um, a- any other, um, I guess, kind of uh, like parting words of wisdom, so to speak, for for our listeners here about 
tips for how they can bring tension to the table or into their own into their own games as they're designing or crafting them? Uh, I think the the you know in terms of GMing a game uh, in particular, um, the the big thing to to really keep in mind is also uh, making sure that your players have something to gain or their characters mm. um, and uh, that uh, it's generally going to be, you know, even better if the thing that they have to gain is more than just material, you know, if it's more than, mm. uh, mm-hmm. if it's something that'll have an impact on the character, you know, the, the character's personality and, and their, their, their thoughts. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that'll make, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what our, you know, the characters are, is the characters are a personality mm-hmm. that you're, you're assuming. Mm-hmm. And so if the thing that they gain at the end of the day really is personal to them, uh, it'll be more impactful uh, on the story and it'll be more memorable. Uh, even if it's, you know, a smaller scale victory, like there's a lot mm-hmm. of stories of, you know, we're going to go and we've got to save the whole world. But I think that a lot of the time that uh, will actually, you know, end up being less memorable than something that's done on a personal level with your characters at a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, the, we've talked a lot about uh, risk bringing tension and, and what is risk without the potential for the reward, the, the payoff of some sort. And, and absolutely agree that, you know, um, rewards beyond uh, things beyond loot and like XP, like obviously those are going to come into play at some point, but that's not what makes for a memorable story. Like you're, you're never going to be telling a story about like, Oh, what, you know, my party fought the dragon and then we got so much experience points from it. It was great. Like that's yeah. not, that's not a story that anyone's going to tell. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe it is, but that's not, that's not the ones that are going to be told regularly. Um, what, what you're going to remember is that, well, the, the dragon was guarding the entrance to the abyss, it turns out. And now we've got to go in because we fought the dragon, the, uh, monsters are coming out of the abyss and now we got to go fight them, right? Like there's other things to gain or lose from these moments of tension, um, I, I think about uh, one cl- literal cliffhanger that I left my party on um, a while back. We, they were going up this mountain path, and to get to the place that they were going, there were these very rickety bridges. Um, and of course, some harpies came along while they were on these rickety bridges, trying to entice them off of the the, uh, the bridge. It, it you know devolved into combat and. Ultimately, though, the the harpies were like, well, these guys are very powerful, so we're going to fly away. But as they were doing so, they uh, picked up one of the important NPCs that the party needed information from. And they were doing a quest for that NPC. And now the harpies are dragging them away. And that's going on. But also there are people who are literally hanging off of the, the rope bridges, uh, potentially about to die or about to fall to their death. So the the party is kind of split in a sense of like, oh, we've got this one important thing going this way, but also there's this other important thing right in front of my face that I need to take care of as well. Um, And those, uh, the 
obviously the reward there is like, oh, well, I have to go and save our friend, but I can't let this other friend die in the process. Or I'm going to go after the one that's getting carried away, um, but there's a chance that this person might fall. Or I can save the person that's going to fall and maybe let the important, the other important NPC get carried off. And now I don't know where to find them or what to do to, to get to them. Um, so those... The, uh, the gamble in that sense was kind of dual sided, but the the reward there being, well, I'm saving this player who is important to this one or this uh, NPC who's important to this one player character. Um, but I also want to save this other NPC who's important to the character as well, because they've got the important story information that I need. Mm-hmm. Um it was really great. And I actually, I, I ended that session with uh, the NPC getting carried away and the other NPC hanging off of the rope bridge. And that was an instance where like my players were literally screaming as I was like, and that's where we're going to end the session today. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're like, no, we have to, we have to save them all. Ah, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a really great, like really thrilling moment for me as a GM to just like, yes, <laughs> I'm feeding off of these uh, these uh, cries of of uh, pain and and suffering from you because I'm a, I'm a cruel GM like that. So. <laughs> and um and not to you know to to semi harken back to this point, but also to um to to mm-hmm. elaborate on that that story. See, that that's you know for me that's kind of a prime example of why I think that um you know the, the that's a really great example of using the environment to create a lot of tension where you know, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. like falling matters. You're hanging off of this bridge and that's, you can't, you, you, right. you dropping isn't going to not have consequences. Um, but the, the kind of mechanics of a lot of games make it so that, you know, if you're, if you haven't been already beat up a lot, falling off of that bridge is fine. You know, right. you'll go take a nap for like four hours and then you'll be, <laughs> um, Right, which is you know a lot of dissonance with the narrative and the mechanics, mm-hmm. and um, and it's also things like uh, you know even if you have tension in that situation um, from the the environment, uh, very you know one off like spells like you know things like fly can be a, you know really preventative in terms of you know creating those kinds of really memorable and fun experiences where uh, you know like both of those problems are, are solvable mm. with fly. If you're getting carried away by a flying thing, you know, get out, cast fly and fly away mm. in the other direction. And if you're dangling off a bridge, cast fly and you're right. fine. So, um, not, mm-hmm. you know, completely just harken on like, you know, saying, Oh, fly is so terrible. Cause it definitely is fun. And it has a, <laughs> its, its advantages and, and aspects that are great about it. But, um, mm-hmm. just as a, you know, kind of example of that kind of, mechanic that is uh you know very very uh in some sense freeing and that it kind of just frees you from the constraints of the the game basically um but that makes it very restrictive in terms of how can you create tension and how can you make the game very exciting so Mm. yeah yeah uh and (laughs) they the players did end up solving the situation by casting fly um, (laughs) mostly by using fly to go and uh rescue the person who was about to fall um and the uh 
the that NPC that was about to fall was actually kind of like a sort of budding romance with one of the other players. So they had a lot like, it's like, oh, my girlfriend is about to fall to their death. So I'm going to turn into a giant eagle and go and, and save them. And then the wizard's going to go and fly and go after these other folks. And, um, you know, it, it it did create some interesting things for, for me to do as well as the DMs. It's like, okay, I have to figure out how to respond to these uh, these way, the ways that they're solving these problems, right? But um, it it did it definitely made for those moments of dramatic tension, and we mm-hmm. still talk about that instance of you know this character almost falling to their death, um, this this NPC, uh, because <laughs> what resulted in that was the player whose girlfriend it was saying "I love you" to them for the first time. Um, which was also like an interesting moment that like I didn't plan at all, but the player was scooping them up and flying away with them. It was like, dropped them off and was like, okay, love you. Bye. And flew off and was like, oh shit. I just told my girlfriend, I love them for the first time. What do I do with that? <laughs> um, yeah. So great. yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, I, I guess my point here is, you know, set up set situations for the players and then let them surprise you with, their ways for solving the problem and they're going to end up making more problems for themselves probably. So. Yeah. That, and that's also, you know, a great example of, you know, players kind of creating the, the tension and, and that's, you know, a, more mm-hmm. an example of like a, a relationship tension um, within the game for themselves that you, you know, as a GM don't even, you can just let them do. Um, and those are, kind yep. of, I think a lot of the most wonderful uh, parts of the game is things like that, where the players get to, 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 take the story in a direction because of their characterization Mm -hmm. absolutely awesome well yeah i know i asked you for parting words and then we kind of went off on a tangent which uh to be honest tends to happen on the show um but uh yeah uh, ian i just want to say thank you so much for for coming on to the show today and it's been great chatting with you and i'm definitely going to go and steal all of your ideas and put them into my own games because uh that's the kind of monster that i am (laughs) um but uh yeah i want to give you a chance to you know let our listeners know how to find out about uh apotheosis how to get in contact with you so i'll i'll shut up for a minute and and uh let you uh do your thing uh thank you well uh yeah before all that i just want to say you know thanks so much for letting me come on and just talk about tabletop role-playing games for an hour um it was you know super great to to hear your thoughts on everything and you know your, your uh, podcast is really great um great well produced and and uh, i've enjoyed listening to um the episodes that i have so far so um i'll i'll pay you that five dollars later <laughs> um uh yeah you can you can find uh my game apotheosis uh on our website um apotheosisrpg.com um and you can follow uh, us on any of our social media at uh, Apotheosis TRPG. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, and we're available for purchase the PDF through DriveThruRPG. And we've got physicals available on Amazon. And we're working on getting them available other places as well. So Awesome. And yeah, I'll be sure to include all of the links in the show notes as well, listeners. So uh, check those out. And uh, definitely... Uh, follow uh, follow Ian and and his team uh, here with uh, with apotheosis. It's a really great really great system. It was a lot of fun to uh, to play. Uh, and again, you can go and check out uh, actual play um, 
over on our, our friends channel at twos cast as well. So yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, Ian, again, thank you so much for, for, uh, hanging out. It's been a blast, uh, getting to chat with you here and, um, Thanks so much for having me on. yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to, uh, to all of our listeners, thank you all for, for joining us again. Um, very excited to be back in the recording studio and uh, moving forward with this uh, the season. Um, as always, if you like what you hear, leave comments, ratings, reviews, whatever you can, wherever you get your podcast. Let me or Ian know if anything that we've said today was helpful. Um, I'm sure that Ian would appreciate hearing that, and I know I would as well. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the best way that you can help the show out is, of course, to go out and tell 19 of your closest friends about it. Uh, thanks so much for, for listening in. Thanks again to Ian for coming on. Everyone take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you all next time when 19 hits the dragon. Bye-bye. <laughs>